Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. I'm running host tonight. I'm Bobby McCready. We decided to give Carter McKenzie the night off because we've gotten too many complaints of everybody complaining about his voice too much on the podcast. All right. And our guest tonight, (laughs) is Carter McKenzie, the one and only. We decided. The one and only, man. The one and only. The host with the most. No one's sick of your voice. I'm just kidding. I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, it's good to play. Uh play guest again this week and uh we got a couple other boys from a recent hunt trip on here as well yeah do you want to introduce your uh your boys or you want me to introduce them for you yeah no for sure um we're here with uh kevin harris and Stuart hope um one old and one new friend of mine um Stuart and i went to college together back in the day and uh, college of charleston shout out super failed out and then uh remained buddies ever since and then kevin and i re- met recently on uh this recent Hawaii trip that we went on. So, uh, Stuart and Kevin, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Second time with Bobby and Carter running it back. <laughs> That's right. Like an yeah. old pro now. Exactly. And, and we feel like we built such the suspense on the last one now that I even didn't even ask Carter anything about his trip on all the nights that we spent together trying to do other podcasts. And I was like, I, I want to be shocked too when I want to hear this story. So, the anticipation has built up, and now I'm ready to hear about this uh, epic hunt here. Yeah, save it for the podcast. Yeah, exactly. We, I, I gathered so many questions, and I feel like we uh, we got to hit every one of them because I'm super curious right now about this hunt. Yeah, so we did a part one on here with Stu, kind of laying out. We talked, what did we, what did we run through, Stu? We talked logistics. We talked about expectations and your past trips. Um, your past experience hunting axis in Hawaii, right? Yeah. And this was a first time to a new island for me and obviously you as well and Kevin. So, I mean, having me kind of given an intro on all the animals out there, Carter and Kevin, what do you guys think about, you know, just the population and the amount of deer out there? I mean, I've been hunting for a long time and I, I can't really put it into words. I mean, there's just so many of them out there. But that being said, it's also not the easiest place to hunt. Uh, but the sheer amount of animals is just staggering. Yeah, and if you missed part one, go back and listen to it, um, Hawaii part one. But what we're referring to are axis deer. We were out on Molokai Island in Hawaii hunting axis deer. And <clears throat> like you said, Kevin, it is, it's been hard to explain to people just the sheer number of animals that we saw every single day consistently like sun up to sundown whether it was i mean shoot dude we saw a deer on like next to the runway when we were flying into molokai like lots of deer it's crazy i mean when we rented the car uh you know we didn't rent from like you know hertz or anything like that we rented from a local guy and he was like yeah you know i had 14 deer be hit last year or something like that we were just blown away and then when we got to the we were staying in kind of like a Hilton condominium resort, you know, pretty secluded, <laughs> but still like a Wait. civilized place. And there's <laughs> axis, like shooting axis deer in the yard. It was unbelievable. A hundred percent. So you you're in them. Hawaii, staying at a Hilton, and there's fucking deer everywhere. And That's- turkeys. <laughs> and turkeys. What the really hell is going on right now? <laughs> yeah, guys. Next trip, we need to go out there during turkey season for sure. <laughs> I feel like. Carter was feeding everybody grapes and everything by fanning you guys. Like that was what kind of, is that the kind of hunt that it was? Man? I mean, you so, can do it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we stayed in probably a nicer condominium than, you know, we could have slummed it a little more, but uh, Stuart and Kevin had some family along as well. So that instantly leveled up the, uh, the location of where we were staying. Nice. 
I didn't realize this was a different island than you've you've hunted before, Stuart. I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought so, this was like the same one. Like you were like you were going like the same spot and everything. So that's pretty cool. That this is uh, so this was kind of new to you too on this location. Yeah, and like the the kicker to it was my dad, who was the one who initially like got me to go out to Hawaii with him for axis deer on this particular island, which is only you know what what is it, guys? Like ten or twelve miles from Lanai. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it may be that. Very yeah, close, but there's a there's black buck on this island, and that's the only island they're on in Hawaii that I know of. And so my dad really wanted to go to get a new species, so we you know we got a tag along an axis deer hunt, and it was awesome. That's sick. Well, I don't want to pry too much. I want you guys to paint the backstory for me. I want you to go over you know the the terrain and everything because I seeing some of the pictures, I didn't think you were in Hawaii. I thought you were on Mars, so. I really would love to love to see the backstory and everything like that on this hunt. Yeah, take it away, Stu. You're the pro, man. No, I think. See, I've already been out there and described Fair it. Enough. All, here. all right, Kevin. <laughs> Carter and Kevin. Kevin. All right. This what y'all yeah, man. I mean, we we hit, the, we hit the ground running on day one. I mean, we we jumped in our jalopy F one fifty and cruised down this red dirt road. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we were a little late getting out there morning one because morning one, we had to get the key to the gate to Molokai Ranch. And, uh, I mean, this place is just massive. I mean, of all the areas we were allowed to hunt, I, I mean, we barely even touched it because uh, we didn't really have to go anywhere. So, you know, just imagine us rednecks going down this dirt road in Hawaii. And uh, we get to the gate, and we drive in maybe 200 yards, and we're like, all right, let's split ways. So me and these two guys, we head uphill and uh, – Stu's uncle and dad, they head downhill and we start heading up towards this ravine that we noted on the map uh, due to Stu's previous experience. Um, that's where he had some luck on Lanai. So we were like, well, if it works, we're going to try to duplicate that here. So we took off up this mountain and uh, I mean, it's just desolate. There wasn't a tree to hide behind, uh, not much foliage. We're over here scratching our heads. Like, how does this landscape support this many animals? I mean, at, at this point, we'd only seen them you know, on the road to our, our condominium and from the airplane. Um, so we, we head out there and uh, we get to our ravine that we're trying to hunt and kind of get set up and just scope a little bit. And uh, fortunately, Carter had a spotting scope, which, I mean, was invaluable. We were able to just glass. I mean, it's what seemed like what 1,000, 1,200 yards with ease and uh, spotted a big buck uh, across the ravine on the other side. And, uh, so we decided to split up as a group. Um, Stu stayed on the side that we were currently on, and Carter and I took off down this gully. And uh, we, we couldn't really, we didn't bring our radios day one, which was kind of a mistake. We we thought we would just be able to kind of set a heading, walk up to it. So Carter and I go down. We're coming coming back up, and lo and behold, we pop up like right in their bread basket. I mean, they're right in front of us. And so we, we spooked that guy off and we're like, all right, we got to, we got to reset. This is not, we're not off to a good start. Um, but just, just the, the landscape in general, there's, it, it changed so drastically from the top of that ridge down into that dry riverbed back up to the other side, almost, almost like a field. Um, so I mean, we had three sets of terrain and, you know, a short little hike. How did you prepare for such different terrains? Like where's your gear? Do you feel like your gear was packed adequately for, all that different kinds of terrain, man. After after uh, after going up and down that gully a couple of times, I was looking to shed some pounds. I uh, <laughs> I picked up Carter's rifle, and you know I've got a 1980s 270. My dad left me, and I was like, man, this thing's about four times as heavy as yours. So I instantly came home and looked for a new rifle. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was sweating, man. It was uh, yeah, what's, I guess what mid 80s, low 80s with a breeze, and I, I mean it was I was still poor. But yeah, I mean overall, I mean I think we packed pretty well. Uh, we went over our uh, most of our packing and the tips, I believe. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I felt like we were adequate. I, I could have used some more water, but I'm a little bit more out of shape than you boys. <laughs> yeah. The crazy part was like, it was almost desert. Like the topography was, and you had to find where the vegetation was to find the deer. That's where they were going to be. And this, the, this piece of land we were hunting was an old cattle ranch had been a cattle ranch for a long, long time, many decades. And these fields, I mean, you could just see forever, right? I mean, you could see for miles. And so it was easy to like decide, okay, obviously they're not out here in these big fields. Um, 
for the most part. All right, let's go over here where this thick, thicker vegetation is like Kevin was talking about. So you could like rule out a lot of areas rather quickly and then hone in where we assumed where they would be. Although, you know, day one walking over there, I was like, there's no freaking way we're ever going to find these things. There, there's no way, even though they're everywhere. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. It's hard to explain. Like they're so skittish, like they want nothing to do. Like their best defense is as, as soon as they see you, they're like, they're gone forever. It's kind of like hunting antelope and they travel in massive packs. Um, groups of, you know, 10, 20, 30. And that's a lot of eyes, man. And as soon as they think something's not right, they're out of there. Yeah. What was the vegetation? Uh, it's mostly like mesquite trees. It kind of has a, a West Texas vibe. You know, okay. dry riverbeds is where you're going to find all the, the trees. And kind of what Carter and Kevin were saying, is like one thing that you got to paint a picture for is like, there's just a, a ton of these animals, but they travel in big groups. They're really aware, really hard to stalk. I mean, maybe if there was more oscillation in the land, you could get behind ridges. But, you know, primarily where we were hunting, there was just ravines. And so you would see them. And the mistake the three of us made, not really a mistake, but what we started doing was we tried to get up on these deer, try to stalk up to them. And, you know, they blow you every time. So we kind of pivoted after that first hunt and just would pick a good spot with vantage point, you know, maybe move here or there to get a better angle. Uh, and that was a lot more successful because they would kind of come to you. Don't you guys think? See, I, I didn't really pivot away from the, the true spot and spot and stalk um, because that second area that we'll get to here in a minute was much more dense foliage. Like the, the trees were closer together um, and not so isolated down into that like, canyon. Uh, but for that area, I mean, I definitely think that's the only way you can be successful. So, so were you guys in groups of three together too, or were you guys split up? So, so that first hunt on Saturday morning, we, we all went us three together, just trying to kind of figure it out. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, you know, that, that was basically some of the only action we had on that trip or that, that first hunt. So, you know, I went back down to the bottom and we decided we we're just going to try to push them up the Canyon. Um, and that really wasn't too successful. Right. And then I think whenever I came back up to your side, Carter, that's when we had that one with the broken horde running between us. Dude, yeah, I forgot about that. And Stuart was on the far side, and he was like, there's one coming up the ravine. And he came boot scooting boogie in between us. And uh, I was like, I don't know where Kevin is. I'm, you know, I'm not going to pull the trigger. And then you, as soon as he, you know, disappeared 10 seconds later, you popped up like, I don't know, 30, 40 yards from me. You were really close. Oh, yeah, I was right on your tail, dude. Holy shit, dude, that could have been a problem. <laughs> but those deer blend in so well with that landscape. Like, they're an invasive and a non-native, but, like, I mean, fuck. They were made to be on Molokai. They blend in so well because I spooked one up on that same stock, you know, 40 yards away that Stuart and I had lost when it bedded down. And I spooked it out of its bed, and it was, like, in my lap, like, 40-yard shot, and I had – a half second where I could have taken a standing shot and I decided not to. And uh, then he was like gone forever. But they, I mean, they just, they're like ghosts out there. Yeah. So that was, that was hunt one pretty much. Right. And then we, we kind of packed it up and headed back to the truck and did a little bit of scouting in the truck bed. And I really thought we were going to pull one off like crocodile Dundee and shoot one out of the back of the truck. Cause I mean, they were just darting around everywhere. <laughs> yeah, dude, that was crazy driving down the dirt road and you see i don't know 50 deer on your right and kevin and i are so amped up like we were total amateurs that first day kevin because we i was like i needed to get a deer on the ground bad and Stu and big Stu are like you know playing the long game and uh i'm like getting a little frustrated because i'm like ready to jump out and start chasing these things and everybody else is like playing it cool and kevin well, we and did. i are like we did. Yeah, I know. We're like running after these things and like drawing up on them and like could have had a couple uh good old Texas heart shots going on, but you know, decided better against it. And I'm glad we did wait. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so we were going up this dirt road, just again, trying to scout some, some different areas because we had so much land to cover. Uh, and they had a bunch of these mesquite trees piled up kind of where they were clearing a field and um, maybe 150 yards, 200 yards past that we saw some nice shooter bucks. So we were like, stop the truck, you know, and Carter and I hopped out and 
we scooted over to this log and like we're both on both sides. We're like, can you see him? Can you see it? Are you going to shoot? Uh, should I shoot? And but like the really only shot we had was like right up the tailpipe, and that wasn't really you know <laughs> what we were looking for. So <laughs> we let those guys go. But that's the same spot I went back that afternoon. Yeah. What range were you guys shooting at? Like, would you say? I mean, I hit mine at 125. I hit mine at 205, and you could have shot at 50, or you could have shot at 600 out there, or like, fuck, you could have <laughs> shot at 1,200 if you really wanted to. But, I mean, it's like the variability was pretty wild, but I, I, I'm i pretty limited to like 200, 250. That's where I feel that's like max comfortability. So that's where I was looking to be. Yeah, if if you were confident at three hundred, you can go out there and just clean up. Yeah, and talking about like gear, like important gear, like if you're not taking a rangefinder, like I mean, it's a it's a crucial piece of gear out there where your shots can be so varied. Uh, it's everything because like once Stuart and I figured out how we wanted to hunt, we kind of hunted like whitetail and ambush hunt from a, a seated position we would just range a bunch of spots to know exactly where they were going to be when they popped out in the evenings to feed. But you have to know that range or else you're going to miss. Cause I took a shot at a freaking stud and I missed him because I was rushed and I didn't range him first. Yeah. Do you want to go into that no. afternoon hunt where you uh, got yours? <clears throat> yeah, we could do that, man. We can definitely do that. Shit. That was the first day. Wasn't it? Yeah, we both, we both killed on the first day. Yeah, uh, harvested on the first day. That that was the, the big correction of, of Big Stew's uh, trip. Harvesting. He likes yeah. harvesting. <laughs> game I'm management. a big harvesting too. I'm with you, <laughs> Stu. <laughs> game management. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was cool, and uh, yeah, we all saw deer, which was awesome and really reassuring. Um, because like, I don't know. I've been out to Wyoming, and you look for mule deer for three days, and you don't see anything and it's very discouraging so the deer are here well actually it was almost it could have been discouraging as well i kind of felt like we got our asses kicked the first day so we we went back we had some lunch had some beers did we go to the beach the first day i don't know i don't either how many beers did you have you guys were <laughs> <on> the beach <laughs> yeah we definitely did go to the beach the first day yeah because yeah uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you've walked on like just kind of like the sand, like the upper part of the dunes that we, we have like in the South, their entire beach is like that where, you know, you sink up to your ankle and, uh, you know, all that hiking we did, I thought that was the most strenuous on my legs was walking that you know, half mile or three quarters of a mile on that sand, man. I thought my calves were just going to jump off my legs. Yeah. Bobby. <laughs> and then we were seeing like, we were seeing axis deer on the beach. They were just off. <laughs> you didn't bring your rifle to the beach? <laughs> no, probably not. Probably frowned upon by the local authorities, but we'll get to that part later. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah I, I heard some things, but we'll definitely touch on that later for sure. <laughs> yeah, that was the cool part. The cool part about this hunt was like during the heat of the day, because it was hot, you could go to the beach and go spear fishing. It was like wild. It was the best. That's was cool. cool. Go cool yeah. off in the ocean. Did you guys run into any other hunters while you're out there, or is it pretty much so much area that it was just you guys? Uh, I think that, that, so it's private land, so they will hunt multiple groups at once and just section you off into different parts. It's, you know, it's an old cattle farm, or not an old, it's a cattle farm, so there's fences with gates along the way, but we were the only people on the whole ranch, so. That's awesome, man. We yeah, see people, but, uh, but farm hands, right, guys? Yeah. yeah. The lady who, uh, who, run, who runs it, Bobby, she was like, here's a key. If it doesn't open the gate, don't go through the gate. And we are like, what? <laughs> she was like, yep. Yeah. We were like, well, all right, where can we go? Like on the map. And she's like, anywhere you want. If the key opens the gate, you can go through. That's that's it. Those are the only. I was like, this is wild. This place is, there's no rules here. Well, one there was a, through the gate. Yeah. But, and there was a big fishing tournament that literally like every local that we talked to was fishing in. I mean, the whole island must have been fishing in it. So no one was even like out and about. It was just us. That's a great weekend to go. Note yeah. that down. Fishing tournament weekend. Go access deer hunting. Pretty <laughs> unsupervised. Yeah. Yeah. So we roll. Yeah. So we roll back in that afternoon with renewed spirits and game plan, and 
Stu and I go back to the ravine where we were hunting. Um, and I posted some pictures on my Instagram of that ravine where you can see it. And we're kind of, we picked like a gnarly looking tree, um, one of those mesquite trees. And I just sat under that, that had kind of some cover in front of me, their branches like come down towards the ground. And I don't know, it's kind of almost like a jail type thing. Um, so I had some cover in front of me and some cover behind me, uh, big, great field of view across from me, across the canton, well, across the, it's not quite a canyon, but across this little ravine, 200 yards to the other side, great field of vision. Um, so I can see them when they start coming back and feeding down into this ravine in the evenings is the idea. And Stuart decides to go, I don't know, quarter mile, half a mile up the ridge to do the same thing. Um, just spread out. So we're hunting different deer. And then, um, yeah, and we just decided to sit just like, you know, whitetail hunting. So we're sitting there just on the ground a uh, couple hours. We get in there about 2.30, maybe 3, um, sitting there a couple hours. And then when this, you know, sure as shoot, like just like any deer, uh, sun starts going down and the deer start piling in. And they just like start coming out of everywhere, just groups and groups and groups of deer. And then I remember like I, I was reading my book and I look up and there's like, a big group of maybe 15 or 20 deer feeding in towards me slowly and I'm ranging them and I'm ranging them. And then they get around the 200 mark and they're kind of milling about at the top of this ridge. And I got my binos up and I'm like, okay, like there's a bunch of bucks in here. There's probably four or five bucks in there. And so I'm like taking my time, picking out, just like trying to look for the, the larger one in the group. And, uh, find the one I want. And I kind of, I go prone, I lay on my stomach and I got a bipod on my rifle and then I like get really amped. And so I had to take like, <laughs> it took about a minute to try to do some, some breathing exercises to calm the hell down. Cause I was like, I was so jacked. It was like, it was my first deer again. It was just such a cool experience. And I was like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's happening. It's happening. And, uh, so I just had to relax for a second and then waited for him to go broadside and make sure there were no other deer behind him and then took a shot and he, he dropped right there. And, uh, that was at, I think like six o'clock, um, dropped right there. Phone service was not great. So I, I, tr I think I tried to text Stu. Um, and then that was it. Yeah. I was just there and watched. I, I could see where he was across the, ravine which is great because i hate tracking at night and uh yeah. yeah life was good i was over the moon man it was the coolest thing in the world and they're the most gorgeous animal i've ever seen they're absolutely stunning to look at yeah it was a beautiful animal yeah I, th I think one of my biggest regrets is not getting like the full hide for a rug mount because i mean they're just gorgeous yeah and to well, you know to, to peel back all the layers on mine like i would have loved to do the same thing or at least shoulder mount mine but I jacked up the hide. Um, I hit him high in the lungs. I think I hit one lung when he dropped. And uh, they're smaller deer, so they they go down pretty easy. And he was kicking every once in a while. He wasn't quite dead. Um, and I found out why this past weekend. I was sighting in my rifle, and I was sighting in uh, about a half-inch high. Um, so at 200 yards, I was about four inches. So I hit him high. Um and then when Stu got over to me, he's like, where's your deer? I was like, it's over there. He's still kicking. He's like, all right, let's go get it. Let's go put it out of his misery. And so we, we scooted over there and then had to, uh, had to, had to cut his neck and bleed him out like that, which was not ideal. It was a pretty violent situation for, uh, it felt like an eternity to me. I hated it. Um, and, uh, it was probably, I don't know, 20 seconds. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, had to, had to kill it as quickly as possible, um, which is the right thing to do. And an unfortunate yeah. byproduct of, of, uh, hunting that happens sometimes. Um, but still way better than wounding one and not being able to find it. At least we could see it and get to it and, and put it out. So yeah, I ruined my hide that way. Um, which at that point didn't matter at all. I just wanted that thing to stop suffering so that that kind of sucked but um 
was pumped to pumped to you know get one on the ground and and have that over with and move forward with uh the butchering and and everything after that right i'd imagine though even with you know a clean kill dragging it across that terrain you'd ruin the hide anyway right it's because wasn't it like pretty rocky there and everything so that's, that's how i ruined my wife's her first buck ever by the way um which you know in hindsight wait where we go yeah right where we're we gonna go from here um that's your sister um but uh in hindsight i should have you know quartered it caped it packed it out but i was like you know this thing's only you know 120 pounds there's two of us now because i drug mine out and i got pretty fortunate with mine like the the legs kind of sprawled out a little bit and it didn't really ruin the hide um but with hers he kind of turned over a little bit and and, i mean this was day four three or four so like we were just just tired man so we were just dragging it and when we got to the road, I, I flipped it over, and it was just a big ball spot. So, uh, yeah, the terrain was definitely rough. It wasn't like carrying on you know, dewy grass or anything. Yeah, how was our pack out, Stu? Uh, it was good. We had two people there. Yeah. We didn't damage it too bad, but, I mean, it's tough. Even for, you know, they're about the size of a whitetail, probably a little smaller, maybe 10%, yeah. maybe 15 but, you know. It's still awkward. You try not to mess up the horns. You know, as Kevin said, we definitely should have field dressed them all, but you're so close to, you know, the truck and the road that you think you should just get it over there. Yeah. The part that sucked for us was we had to go down and then we had to go back up and it was a lot steeper than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And it was dark at that point. It was dark. The footing was not great. There's a lot of really loose rocks. It was kind of a pain, but I like, I really loved it at the time because I was like, this is what you deserve, you piece of shit. Like <laughs> after <laughs> making that deer go through that, I was like, don't ever complain. Like shut up and carry yeah. this thing. Yeah. And then at the same time, Kevin, that's the same night you got yours, right? That's correct. Yeah. So like, I'm not kidding you guys. That, that beach walk wore me out. I was like, adios guys. Y'all go back to that hellhole ravine. I'm going downhill over here. And uh, so that same spot where we jumped out of the bed of the truck is where I, I started off. So, I mean, I had like, you know, maybe quarter mile walk to that spot and kind of just eased my way in there working from tree to tree and glassing at every stopping point. And, you know, I just felt like I was creeping around and uh, I saw a big herd, you know, probably six, seven, eight hundred yards away um, up to my far right. And I was like, all right, I'm kind of work down that way. And I was I was working away and I stopped about halfway and just glassed around and took a sip of my water and looked to my left. And there was a herd of about 25 or 30, at about 300 yards. And I was like, well, the wind's right for this. And like, you know, you know, I got some trees. Like I said, I could vision a line that I was going to try to work to had a couple of rocks to get behind. And I worked my way right up to that. Got to the destination I was looking at popped out my, by the way, the Primo's trigger stick was a game changer. I mean, game changer. dude, I just, I had my rifle on the sling had the print the, the stick in my hand hit the trigger laid the rifle right on the the yoke and i was able to adjust right to him i just stared at him in the scope for a little while trying to really gauge the, the, what was difficult for me is most of them are very similar in size so i was really trying to maximize you know i wanted the biggest book out of all of them um, so I, I sat there and looked at him and looked at him finally made a decision on mine pulled the trigger at about 125 yards he dropped on the spot and I mean, I, I felt like it was my first year. I was I was all giddy, shaking, had the buck fever going on, man. I mean, it was just it, it was incredible. Um, so I walked up to it. Fortunately, it was a clean kill. Um, so that was a little bit less stressful than that previous. It was going on around the corner over there, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I walked right up to him. Uh, you know, I took a couple pictures, and I, I had decent service, so I was texting it to the rest of the group and kind of gloating a little bit and. I field dressed them and began to drag back to the truck. And that's when I was looking for that extra water, man. I, I was licking the inside of that water bottle. I was like, I need every drop I can get. Uh, but got, got him to the truck. Uh, then we went looking for these guys and found them in the dark. That's a really good point about sizing these deer, which I found really difficult. And, uh, you know, you'd have to look at a lot of these things to get good at it, but when you see a big one, you know, and I feel like it's the same thing for like, I don't know, probably for most animals, like, you know, most whitetail, right? You, you see a 120, 130 inch deer, right? And you're like, 
yeah, there's, there's a white tail. But when you see like a 170, you're like, holy shit, like that's a big ass deer. Not that I've seen one like in person, like on the hoof, but like when you look at them as mounts for me. But like these axes are tough. And a lot of them, most like most of them, I feel like were around the same size. So you measure the ma- the length of the main beam, Stu? Correct. Yeah, measure the length of the main beam and like a 30 inch axis, a 30 inch main beam is like a freaking that's stud. Yeah, that's Boss Hog right there. <laughs> oh, over there. I mean, you go to Texas, they're like, oh, man, that thing's still growing. But, but I mean, sure. the, the resources are just limited. And if I'm not mistaken, they had a big die-off you know, less than a decade ago, which I think is why a lot of them are the same age. Um, yeah, so most of the ones we looked over were within three or four inches of each other. So I, the one I shot, which I thought was I, – I, I didn't care, but I thought he was a big deer. He was 19, 19 inches. And the one you shot, Kevin, was 24, 23? Uh, 23 and a half, I believe. Yeah. 23, yeah. Um, so I feel like most of the deer we looked at were about that size. So that was like your average deer over there. Well, you know, as I started looking at more of them, like especially when I took Melissa hunting, um, the color of the coat was a lar- much better indicator as opposed to antler size. Um, the, the, the older ones were just so much darker. And uh, when, when I got onto that herd with her, I instantly regretted shooting mine because I was like, all right, can I afford three deer on this trip? <laughs> you know, I was like, I was really starting to count the dollars and cents. <laughs> yeah, and like one thing we've got to paint for the listeners is it's not like, you know, whitetail where maybe there's like a couple horned animals. It's like one of every maybe three is a maybe not a shooter, but has horns that at least make you look at it twice. And so, you know, they, they roll in big groups. So you maybe see a group of three, but traditionally 12 15 20 sometimes like 30 40 so you just see a bunch of sets of horns and what like kevin was saying you can almost get lost if you start trying to look at the horns through the binoculars and after day two like especially day three i mean we could be a couple hundred yards from these things no binoculars and you could tell right away just based on color body position kind of how they hold their head the bigger ones hold their head a little different Uh, i mean you could just tell they were bigger those are the ones you want to be going after yeah, that's awesome. The study You got to study the animal, actually, as you were sitting there more. Because, you know, the touch on what you guys were saying, you're shooting 120, 200 yards. And like you said, Carter, it's only a three-inch difference between the some of the bigger ones. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. but three inches to me at 200 yards, I can't tell the difference. My eyesight I, is not yeah. that good, binos <laughs> or not. And I couldn't either. But, like, if I when I go back, now I know what to look. I also didn't care. Like, it was my first trip. I was like, boom, legal deer. He got me excited, like. <laughs> I was pumped about it. Like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Um, yeah, there's also go, like, not the variation in the horn type. You know, yeah. white tails, elk, they, they can be a little varying, but with axis deer, like, they're very, they're almost all identical. What you're really looking for is if they turn and look at you and those horns are outside the ear, that's probably a good one. I mean, anything with four points on either side is, is probably a really good deer out there. Yeah. Um, so just like key indicators that you're looking for. Now, like whitetail, some of the older whitetails, you can tell like their antlers start to curl forward. Does that, that happen on like axis or no? Like they just start to, they all look exactly the same. I don't know, guys. You know, I would say like the it? shape, the shape, the geometric shape is the same. There's no, like it's yeah. all that, it's all the same typical shape. And their antlers go back, which is like kind of bizarre. Um, Interesting. But it, yeah, you have to look at a lot of animals before. I feel like after a couple of days we we got it down because we saw we saw some freaking dandies, man. <laughs> there were some studs. Second day, dude, I didn't have my rifle. I didn't bring it the second day because I didn't want to be tempted to shoot another deer. <laughs> and uh, which you can shoot as many as you want, right? But there's a price tag, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, well, a good way to handle this right now is just to not bring it. And so I went off by myself, goofing around in a part of the property I'd never been on before. And I got into some deer up on this <clears throat> hill. I'd been sitting down drinking some water and I saw some uh, does moving out. And then I saw this buck following him. And uh, I was like, holy shit, like that is a massive deer. And I like stocked in and had my binos and took some video and got within, uh, I think, 98 yards of this buck. And he was freaking huge. He was massive. And, uh, I just, I think I was even like doing this, like holding up a fake gun at him. Um, 
And then this, <laughs> this cowboy on the ranch came by on a four-wheeler and spooked him off. And uh, it was cool. I got to watch that deer for, I don't know, a half hour. I was within 100 yards of it. It was really cool just watching him feed. And uh, this guy rolled up to me. I, like, waved him. I waved at him after he spooked off the deer. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, were you hunting? I was like, eh, not really. He's like, where's your rifle? I was like, oh, it's like back, <laughs> at the, back at the room. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Out there? Just and, sitting uh, under a tree, just yeah. watching yeah. nature. Yeah. 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 His name and was not Keola. Hawaiian either. Like, yeah. Yeah. This like white kid out here. His name was Keola. He was badass. And uh, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I shot my deer yesterday. And uh, he's like, what do you mean? There's, you need to shoot like 50 of them. Like th- these things are a huge pain in the ass out here. That was the other thing. All the locals hate these deer. They do not like them at all. <laughs> what would that first guy say? Knock them down. Knock them down. down. Knock them down. Yeah, that was they the quickest them, way to make friends is just tell them we were access deer hunting. Oh, they loved yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a real problem out there. Yeah, That's interesting. Huge issue. Huge issue. Carter, didn't they tell you they were shutting down the ranch because they had – yeah this guy because of the drought and the axis deer not just axis deer right but. this guy was telling me he'd been working this ranch since the early 90s when it used to be like a legitimate cattle ranch like real big cattle operation back in the day and they had grass up to your waist and now the grass was like i mean stubble like barely grass and uh they were selling the last cows on that ranch that week that week that we were there because there's no more food for them because of the drought and because of over competition with these axes and uh i don't know that landscape had just reached its carrying capacity i guess to sustain cattle operations and he was he was pretty sour about it and he was like yeah you guys need to shoot all of them he's like i was like yeah i mean i'd love to man but like you know i, I can't afford it and he was like hey we don't have to tell anybody just come out here and shoot, just shoot them all, man. Just shoot them all. I was like, I don't know, man. I don't think I'm going to do that, but <laughs> I appreciate it. That's wild. Now, Stuart, what day did you get yours? Day one oh, or day two? Yeah. Glad you got to that. So <laughs> I had a uh, just incredible hunts every day. Got to see these two guys. I brought out tag their first axis deer. Had a couple misses. I had the case of the misses, um, you know, don't know what happened, but still had a great hunt. It was awesome getting the stock on them. And, you know, when push came to shove, just took two bad shots because I rushed them. So we'll go back out there and hopefully the population hadn't dwindled too much. Yeah. The other thing that maybe this may be a good tip for anybody who's flying with firearms. Um, <clears throat> we probably should have taken the time to, to check our zero with our rifles after flying because those get beat up and knocked around and tossed by baggage handlers who don't give a shit what's in your bags um which very well could have been the issue there this is why i love carter because we're 99 percent sure it was human error but i mean there is that one percent and he's always gonna be (laughs) it was some some baggage handler in la who was having a bad day who threw your bag a little too hard don't even forget too like carter i saw the picture of you with your harvest and you're drenched in sweat so that i could imagine shooting with the sweat going into my eyeballs i i would have just better uh, been better off throwing my rifle out there for the thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was hot. So there's, was so there's two percent. Now you got two percent chance. Of <laughs> <laughs> we did. Stuart and I had an epic stock on the last day in the eleventh hour of the, and we got everything we wanted out of that hunt. It was amazing. We stocked a couple really, really awesome bucks. And this is when we saw. You know, up to that point, we'd probably seen maybe 50 or 60 together, maybe two groups separated. But, you know, before we went out, we were kind of sharing pictures and they would said there's like hundreds in these herds. And we were at the base of a big field with like a big old oak tree or something kind of on the edge of the field. And there was at least, I don't know, Carter, what, 120, maybe more. It was amazing. All in this field. I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. Yeah, it was like the Lion King. It was crazy. There were so many animals it was wild it was so cool that's awesome so i gotta i gotta hear this so now you have your harvest you got them in your jalopy f-150 and you're heading back to the luxurious hilton what are you doing with these axes here at the hill and are you going to the continental breakfast area or what's happening here (laughs) an excellent question (laughs) (laughs) 
So yeah. like when we've been out there before, my dad and I have just stayed with the locals. And usually, you know, access deer hunting is like a big part of the Hawaiian people's life just because there's so many of them at such a good source of food. And they would all have like, you know, skinning racks, whatever. So it was never an issue. We didn't really think about this. And in hindsight, oh, uh, oh, range person, no facilities. Yeah. The range per, the person who we, we were using the ranch who gave us the keys probably should have given us somewhere to do it, but yeah. we just didn't think to ask. So it's an excellent point. We were all jacked up. It's the end of the first night. Carter and Kevin both have access deer first night. You know, they're good. They're studs. They're bucks. We're, we're as jacked as we can be. It's like a five minute drive back to the resort. So we get there like, Oh, we'll just do it by the garbage cans in the parking lot. Which, which have a sign on them that say no deer parts whatsoever in these. All right. So, so some asshole has done this before. So this is, this is not the first time. Yeah. Kevin finds that sign about an hour into this process. I think they knew we were coming because like we 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 saw a couple different trash cans in that area and that was the only one with the sign on it. So they're like, all right, these guys are coming here to do this. Let's put the sign up. But we had no intention to throw one of them in the, in the garbage to begin with. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. We, we started the, the skinning process and under a street light, we found a hose. We're at like this little maintenance shed. Um, you know, we're all slapping hands and drinking beers and having a great time. It, I mean, in like in a parking lot, Bobby, we're in the fucking parking lot <laughs> of this co- condominium. I mean, the Hilton's parking lot. Like that needs to be like, it's not just like a, a hotel. Like you're at the Hilton for God's sakes, just. Skinning deer in the parking lot. Amazing. We're jazzed I'm up. And Kevin mounted his. So, you know, traditionally, like, I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people listening will just, you know, shoot their buck, shoot their animal, take it to a taxidermist. You got to cape them when you need to get the hide back. You know, caping is, is tedious. You need a fairly sharp knife, which we had a couple knives. I don't know how sharp they were. Um, and so we're out here trying to cape one of the axis deer get the meat off of Carter's and the other axis deer. Uh, I mean, it was a sight to see. And interestingly enough, a couple non-locals, but people that live there came up and uh, I'll let you guys take it from here. Go ahead, Kevin. So the, the term, the term that we coined was liberal transplant because uh, the only issues (laughs) we had on this entire trip were from non-natives that were obviously from the West coast and just were not a big fan of hunting. Uh, but they came up and, um, wasn't very pleasant. Obviously she's like, well, I thought you guys had bodies here. We're like, yeah, man, we're just cutting people up in the parking lot. Like we kind (laughs) of just ignored them, like, you know, brushed them off a little bit and kept on going about the task. So we had, we had a lot of work to do. Um, so we didn't think anything of it. And, uh, about, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, these two police officers come rolling up. I mean, coming in quick, deep. And uh, we're like, oh man, here we they go. Two trucks, like I mean, they two rolled trucks. up. <laughs> two trucks. I was like, fuck. Well, we yeah, go. they they heard bodies, so they're they're probably like, you know, they, they got racked ARs in the truck, like they're ready to go. Um, they're bi- they're big wine dudes too. They were massive, small. dude. They were <laughs> massive. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, they pop out of the truck, start asking questions. Super cool. Immediately, we're like, hey, you know, we're hunting Molokai Ranch. Here's what happened. You know, we immediately, all of us just go into buddy mode. Like, hey, man, come over here and look at this. Like, you know, we're so jazzed up. Like, this is great. And, uh, you know, fortunately, they were hunters. And and like Stuart said, like, it's a big part of their culture. So uh, they completely understood. They re- really were just concerned about um, if we had any firearms out and if we're being safe. And uh, fortunately, everything was in our, you know, TSA approved cases and uh, set, us, set off to the side. And they just asked us very politely to, you know, just please take that back to the room to alleviate any concerns that, uh, some of the more concerned people might have and uh, basically just got my information. I, I volunteered. I was like, dude, if I go to jail in Molokai, that's just going to add to the story. Like, am I going to get a pineapple in there or something? Yeah. Like what's going to happen? Um, <laughs> so I got, I got my information and uh, fortunately there was no further incident after that. No, they were like the perfect example of how DNR should be. You know, they, they asked us questions. They, Got to the bottom of it, realized like, hey, we were just out here hunting. We had fallen all the regulations. They were very cool. I think we offered them some access to your meat, but they didn't take it. I mean, just great Hawaiian guys. Yeah. I was going to say, your dad is like the most amazing, you know, peacekeeper I've ever met. And doesn't know. For sure. Yeah. Doesn't know anybody who's not a friend. And instantly was like, hey, you boys, you boys want some access? Uh, Take home for your families. And uh, 
they were they were in hook line and sinker then they were they were buddies and they were like no like our freezers are full already like all good it tastes great though hope you guys enjoy it have a good night i was like sweet not going to an all-time funny moment so i mean you know it gets real humid at night i mean it's it's hot all the time out there at least when we were there and we're working away we've been you know caping this thing really heavy on the hand so we're all sweating a bunch and and when you're caping, especially, you want to be wearing gloves. You don't want any because you're all around the face, the eyes, maybe the brain cavity. You don't want any of that juice going in any cuts on your skin. So Kevin is and my dad have been getting after this this cape for like 45 minutes. They're sweating, and he goes to give the police officer his ID, and he takes off the glove. At least four ounces of water oh, sweat. Yeah. Of and and the, the police officer noticeably steps back and is like, "Whoa, man." <laughs> hilarious if there if there was any tension left that broke it kevin that was your extra water that you wanted to drink right there it man. was coming out of me i mean bring your gloves, I man. I had it, on film. it was so funny it, it was like turn on a faucet man but like they were like uh, can we get somebody else's id i'm like no 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 you can have mine You're like the wallet's dry man <laughs> yeah you did say that you did say the wallet's dry <laughs> <laughs> So I just, and I just, you know damn well that lady was watching from the window. Oh, oh definitely. He was such a bummer. <laughs> the only people who were a bummer were fellow white folks on the island. They were a bummer, dude. They didn't. I would have left her the heart. Them. Yeah, sent it right to the room. The, there were some conversations about some retaliation, but you know, cooler heads did prevail. Mm. Yeah. So well, and I think was. also from like a local perspective, it's probably nice when we come out there. We're not just trying to do our thing like we're we're interested in what's going on on their island we're asking a lot of questions you know about animals and like things they see on a day-to-day basis and so i think we're just a little bit more like cognizant of what they you know have going on instead of our own little bubble and you're helping them and the population so like that's why they get it and they're cool with it too that woman just doesn't get it well neither did the other guy Uh, (laughs) there was a second incident in that parking lot <laughs> but this one did not involve the police. I could have. Well, you can't leave us hanging now. So I mean, there's got to be some kind of context to this. We learned from our mistakes. The next, so the next day, my uncle John was there as well, and he got his first access deer that next morning. Good deer. Same thing. We're like, you know, well, because we and keep in mind, we didn't get reprimanded by the police for skinning the deer in that parking lot. They never said stop what you're doing. So, so in your head, you think you got the green light. <laughs> let's go back. Kevin, Kevin, thank goodness for Kevin. He was like, you got, because now it's daytime, you know, because this is the morning hunt. We're back at the house by like 9 a.m., 10 a.m. And so. Yeah, like, like families are getting ready to go to the beach. Like we saw a bunch of children going to the beach. Yeah. He's like, you can't be like cutting a deer's face off in a parking lot. <laughs> resort. So we're like, all right, well, we'll just take it to the side of the house. Uh, near like our condo. So the condos are in quad plexus. He's like, we'll just take it to our quad, do it in the grass by this garden. Bingo, bango, no problem. Huge oh, problem. Huge <laughs> <laughs> problem. One of the maintenance guys lived underneath the condo we were in front of, and he <laughs> just got so angry at us. Uh, Western transplant guy, but uh, just was like, you, what are you doing? You know, you're skinning this deer in front of my house. It was... He was not happy. He was like, you guys are in my yard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was like, how would you like somebody to do this in your yard? And I was like, you can come over whenever, man. Like, we do this all the time. And he just did not come around, man. We offered him the axis. We offered him a beer. He just was determined to have a bad day. Kevin, your dad couldn't buddy-buddy that one up? (sighs) No, they they tried. uh, We mended it as best you could. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, not, not call the cops. But. No, and I mean, like we were even trying to save. Like, man, this is going to be the greenest patch of grass in this condominium. Like, you know, we just give it some fertilizer, a bunch of water. We're washing <laughs> everything off. Like, um, and then like the the whole site where the first incident happened, like it was spotless. Like, if if we didn't know what went down there, there's no way you would have ever known. Um, so like I was like, we, we cleaned up very well, and yeah, I just don't understand this guy's uh, infuriation. Loves his grass, big grass guy. Yeah. Apparently, and he should have been thanking us. I mean, they, they looked great when we left. <laughs> so now you got your uh, your deers all butchered up in your Hilton to go bags. Uh, what was your logistics of getting that back to us now, like back home? What was your plan? 
So I spent all uh, Sunday morning just in our condo, just butchering and uh, vacuum sealing. So while these two guys were still on the hunt trying to get Stu's uh, first one, we uh, uh, I wrangled my wife into helping us. So here we are, you know, um, Stuart's girlfriend's pretty much a vegan. She's over there watching us chop up these deer and uh, shove them in plastic bags and suck the juice out of them. So, uh, yeah. And boil the heads in the damn kitchen. Not only that, yeah. guys, we had to get the brain matter out so we could ship the heads legally to you know prevent the CWD. And uh, so yep. here Carter and I am boiling brains on the stove. and Inside uh, the condo. Inside the condo. <laughs> I was fairly confident and would never eat again out of that place. Um, but she was yeah, I felt taste, man. What a trooper. Um, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to him. So, yeah. So, so we, uh, we, we fully intended on, you know, vacuum tealing this stuff up, uh, trimming it best we could. Uh, I didn't bring a Sharpie, which was a huge mistake. Now it's just a grab bag, whatever you pull out of the freezer. There's no identification of, you know, shoulders, loins, hands, et cetera. Um, but we jammed it up in the freezers, froze it solid. Uh, went down to the local grocery, bought some overpriced coolers and some <laughs> packing tape from the USPS and and planned on shipping them home and uh, or as our carry-on bag. Uh, Carter, you did go and like, inquire about how much it would actually be to ship that kind of weight home, right? I wasn't part of that little I didn't. Bag. I didn't on this trip at USPS. Um, I shipped my skull home and it was like 19 bucks, so... It, I don't know, probably wouldn't have been that bad, but I don't know, maybe cheaper doing it airline check bag. The, the real concern wasn't really the cost. It was just, you know, what if it's delayed? You know, um, you know, typically, you know, if you lose luggage, they're going to want to get you that cooler that says, you know, meat on the side of it home to you. Um, so, yeah. yeah, our plan was just to seal it up pretty well. We froze it solid. Um, I flew a red eye home. Uh, when I got home, unsealed everything. Um, everything was still completely frozen solid. So I, I, I still think that's a solid way to go. Yeah, and so in the belly of the plane, it stays cold. Like, yeah, it's a good place for it to be. So your overpriced cooler actually worked really, really well. Absolutely, man. I mean, it might make it not, it might, it might not make it through football season, but, you know, it made it on that plane ride. <laughs> it did its job. Yeah. Served its purpose there. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, Kevin, do you want to talk about your your wife's deer? Sure. Yeah, man. So she, she saw all this action going, you know, she, she fully intended on going on this trip and just hanging out on the beach with the ladies. And, you know, they, they had like a flower farm planned and, you know, going to go see the leper colony. And she was like, fuck that. I'm coming hunting. And, uh, so she, she dove right in after us. And, um, I took her back to that same location where I was at and, uh, put her on either the same herd or a different one in that general area. Uh, but the wind switched on us. So it I really wasn't set up for where I needed to be. Um, so we kind of just kind of kept doing hooks around and, um, and we got, they were up on a ridge and there was a herd of probably uh, definitely over a hundred, uh, but is they were on the, the very peak of the, of the ridge. So I couldn't really get a solid count of them, but I mean, they just kept coming over and coming over and I was like, all right, we just got to ease a little bit closer. Um, cause we were at about two fifty, and I was like, I mean, you haven't shot a gun this year. Like we, we need, we really need to be, you know, within a hundred, um, Cause I was very, very confident in my gun with my shot placement and she's a crack shot. So I, I was, had full confidence in her ability. Um, so we, we kept working and kept working and got to where I wanted to be. And um, again, that primo stick, man, uh, it folds completely out. So she was able to sit Indian style and have full support on with the front of the gun and then have her second hand to rest the butt of the gun Um but that wasn't the issue. Her issue was she was shaking like a leaf. Like she pulled her. I was like, I was like, all right, you know, I glassed them. She had four shooters and then a Mac daddy in the back. And I was like, you can take your pick of any of these. I was like, if I were you, I would just shoot the closest one. Cause they're all about the same size. And that big one's, you know, he's, he's probably not going to come any closer. So this is your time. And we only had really one more hunt left in us. Um, so she just couldn't get it together, man. I mean, just buck fever like I've never seen. Uh, so excited. Uh, I mean, she's like, I was like, all right, can you see him in the scope? She's like, no, it's bouncing all over the place. Um, <laughs> so we just, uh, it was getting kind of dark. And, uh, like, you know, it was probably about 30 minutes until sunset. And I don't know if you guys felt this, but I thought the sun came up really fast and it went down really fast. Uh, it's, it's, I guess because the ocean around you, but um, 
I was like, last thing, and we were we were in there, man. We were probably, I mean, probably a mile and a half in off the road. Um, and I was like, well, the last thing I want to do is drag this deer out of here by myself in the dark. So I was kind of talking her off the ledge. I was like, you know, we, we still got tomorrow. Like, don't worry about it. So we just packed up and snuck out of there and didn't get blown up. Did, were you guys just blown away by the sounds that these things make? It's awesome. So I mentioned vocal. it a lot in the first pod, but you just, you really, anyone listening, you really should go watch YouTube videos. They don't make just one sound. They have a whole range. It's wild. And, and the doe were just on lookout. So I, I was pleasantly surprised that we were able to sneak out of there without, you know, blowing up that area. Um, but the next morning, you know, we, we had a little talk. I was like, all right, you know, this is, this is pretty much going to be it. Um, and the wind switched on us again. It, now it was coming like straight, exactly opposite of what we needed. Uh, so I was like, all right, we got to try something different. The same herd was in the same spot. I was like, man, if we could just get that wind, we'd be in business. So we just decided to kind of ease on down there, ease on down there. And they blew us from 200 yards with the wind out our back. I was like, surely I can get somewhere close to kind of conceal us or something. Not a chance, man. Over that open field, they smelled us from 200 yards away and we're gone. Um, so I was like, well, we might as well just turn around and start walking into the wind because that obviously didn't work. And uh, <laughs> we just went through this little creek bottom. And same thing that happened to Carter and I is we, we popped up right in their breadbasket. They were at 50 yards. And fortunately, she, she's pretty short. So she was still behind this larger rock. And uh, I was like, don't don't move. Like I was pretty much fully exposed. Like I, I couldn't move at all. And I was like, all right, get set up, you know, set the gun on this rock. And uh, that second buck back is, is the one one you want. And uh, she she got propped up, got set up flipped it on fire, pulled the trigger, and was about six inches low at 55 yards. <laughs> this thing jumped. I'm not kidding you, man. Probably six foot in the air. Turned around <laughs> and was looking right at us. I was like, load another one. <laughs> so, so, she, <laughs> so she racked another one in, and uh, I was like, all right, just, just he's still there. It's like, it's not a big deal. And I was like, are, are you ready? And before, like, the R came out of my mouth, it was bam, laid him down right on the spot. And I was like, that's awesome. Sweet. <laughs> Went over there and took our pictures and high fives and all that good stuff. And now I, I don't know where else I'm going to take her because I don't think South Carolina whitetail hunting is going to do it for her anymore. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. First hunt as a Hawaii access deer hunt? Jeez, man. <sighs> that's awesome. Yeah, so and, and that's when we well, – I, I really made a poor decision by not quartering and caping that one in the field because um, she didn't really intend on shoulder mounting it. But I, she really did want a rug mountain. I, I made a bad decision there on, on not saving that hide. Uh, and that's really my only regret of the hunt is uh, just wish I had that on, on the floor as opposed to leaving it out there. <laughs> we'll just have to go back. That's exactly right. Yeah, definitely. I hear the Hilton's a good butchering station for once you get a harvest. So Yeah, we may think through that a little more next time, but... Well, next time you got me coming with you too, so I'm inviting myself. And if you don't, I'm I'm staying in the room next to you. So. <laughs> Absolutely, just gonna hijack all your fucking plans. Yeah, <laughs> someone got to carry the bags, Bobby. That's right. Somebody's got to do it. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, it was it was a pretty surreal and unbelievable trip, man. It was it was amazing. I'm very thankful you guys uh, invited me, Stu and Kevin. I'm, I'm forever thankful. Oh yeah. You earned the invite back, so Bobby, we got to get you out there too. Absolutely, hell yeah, man! I, I'll just warn you though: you might want to be on a different plane than me because I can't sit for longer than like two hours. So being we'll on that right long plane, I'm calling my dad. <laughs> I'll be doing hot laps around the plane, doing push-ups or something. I got to like, I got to get my blood flowing. I can't sit on planes. You know, I'm pretty sure Stewart's dad walked as much on that plane ride home as he did the entire time we were in Hawaii, just back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, this family. It's a long flight too. It is a long flight. We were coming from Chicago. God, it took forever. (laughs) Yeah, that was brutal. And uh, dude, shout out to your dad for getting his black buck on this uh, on this trip too. We didn't even talk about that. That was amazing. That was a massive, massive goal of his, and he accomplished it on the on the last night. What was it? Go ahead. Go ahead. What's so impressive about that to me is, I mean, he's such an accomplished hunter. For him to say that that was one of the most difficult hunts he's ever done, uh, it's just astounding to me. He probably walked more than all of the rest of us put together. I Not probably. I would almost Definitely. certainly. Yeah. Definitely, but he got yeah. it. 
It was a good looking. It was a good looking animal too. They're pretty. They're gorgeous. They're a lot smaller than I had pictured, but they're small critters. And Bobby, they live out. Their defense mechanism is they stay out in the middle of these fields. You cannot sneak up on them. They are out there in the middle, and they will see you from a thousand meters away. That's their defense mechanism. Holy shit. So they make it almost impossible. He tried to stalk these things for four days and was only successful by, I mean, freaking sticking with it and belly crawling and slipping and sliding up within 200 and what, 200, 250 yards of this thing or something like that. It was crazy. That's He's awesome. a, hell of, a hell of a hunter. That's wild. I've never even seen one, so I'll have to look at the picture and everything and really check yeah, that out. That's really cool. It was wild. And he shot it about a thousand miles from the truck too. And Stu and I had to go up there and get it with him in the middle. It was of the a night. hike. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> I was like, we're never going to find this thing. We're just going to keep walking forever and ever until the other side of the island. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was cool, man. It was cool. Well, yeah. well, we're coming up over an hour here. I really uh, appreciate you guys jumping on with us and, you know, really dialing in and giving us the details. Cause I, I, I was waiting for the anticipation, wanted to hear the story about the cops being called. And I, I definitely wanted to hear about the success you, you all had out there. And it sounds like you definitely would, uh, at any moment, do it again. I'm sure. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I'm ready to go right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll be back there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's safe to say. That's wild. Well, I appreciate it, guys, and uh, it's been an honor having you on here and uh, being able to chat with you about the uh, success you had and about the logistics and everything. And it looks like uh, we'll be talking about it again soon because uh, I'm definitely we'll definitely uh, have you guys on again to talk more about this access to your hunting. Yeah, Kevin, you got a uh, you got any closing thoughts from the from the trip, man? Any lessons learned or thoughts you have on it? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say be patient with it because uh, I, I think you and I definitely could have gotten a larger buck um, had we been more patient. But just the adrenaline and, you know, the I, I'm with you. I've been on so many hunts where, like, you know, you just come up empty handed and you're like, you know, I may not see this deer again. But just knowing the terrain and the just the sheer amount of available bucks out there, I would say just be overly patient with it. That's good advice. What about you, Stu? I mean, I would say that just to like anyone listening, you know, I don't consider it. We're all rich in friendship and camaraderie, but like, you know, I, I don't think I can afford some of the more expensive hunts out there, but this is a great example of like hunting doesn't have to be expensive. Good hunting doesn't have to be really expensive. You know, this is a very doable trip. There's a huge population problem you know the locals would love to see people come out it boosts their economy it helps them with a, a serious problem that they're dealing with and this is just like a prime example of why hunting is so important and it it's so doable you know so i don't get like pigeonholed trying to go on the most expensive trip like there's a ton of options out there and you know this is while it might be in hawaii it's still technically in the u.s and like it's a very doable hunt for pretty much anyone listening so I would encourage anyone to go check it out. It's it really is like nothing else I've ever done. It's the best. It's the coolest thing. Being able to hunt and see the Pacific Ocean while you're hunting is just like yeah. there's nothing like it. Surreal. Yeah, it really is. And on the flip side, don't write it off, right? When you hear you know Hawaii and like private land, you think dollar signs, and it's not the case. Like Stu's saying, like if you've ever looked into like a guided elk hunt or a guided mule deer hunt. Sheesh. I promise you, each number is way less than that number. Way less, right? And I've I've looked at every outfitter and from you know Arizona to, to Montana, and it's that number is way less to go do this hunt. Um, so it's definitely worth it. If you have any questions, definitely hit up anybody here. It's not like this is a. Uh, there's plenty of animals to go around, right? And I'll say it like that. I, I do have one more closing thought. Um, because this isn't guided and. You know, you're kind of out there on your own. <laughs> Figure out what you're going to do with these things before you have to, you know, get, you know, have some altercations with some, you know, people in the cops. <laughs> yeah, that's a smart tip for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we won't harp on that too much on you guys. Don't worry. <laughs> is well worth it. You know what, man? I feel like I say this all the time, but dude, my 
closing thought just always is like go on the trip just do it like go on the trip go have the experience go you know experience things with you know awesome people and i mean wh what else is life for i mean i wouldn't trade it for anything and you know this trip was one of the most memorable trips i've ever been on so like figure it out and go do it right let's figure it out and go have the experience it's you, you won't regret it right Dude, is this hle sponsored by nike coming up yeah, <laughs> Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> shout out nike if you're listening we would take you as a sponsor <laughs> no <laughs> <ads>. <laughs> Or if it, yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. I will say, like my favorite piece of gear I wore. Talking about uh, a company was uh, is uh, I wore a, a new bino harness uh, made by T and K. Um, they're Gen two uh, bino harness, T and K hunting. Um, they're an American made, veteran known company um, based out of South Dakota. Um, I love that bino harness, and I had their rangefinder pouch, and I had all my shit in one place. Um, because when I was on my last hunt, I was fumbling around with all my stuff, and uh, I really liked their setup, so that was that was really helpful. Um, but yeah, that's it. Nice. Go on the trip. Go on the trip, and uh, I'm gonna have to look up that bino harness. I definitely need a new one. So send me that info. Dude, I was sure. checking yeah. out the marsupial one after this trip. It looks good. Yeah. Yep. That's wild. Well, thank you, boys, and uh, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you, listeners, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one.